It's time for Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Now, settle down and listen up. It's time for Lax Class. Lacrosse fans, what's up? You found us once again, Lacrosse Classified, right here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. As Jake Elliott, that's me. My co-host is Brad Challoner. That's him over there. He'll jump in here in a second. This is episode 104. Lax Class is now in session. Thanks for joining us. A great program lined up here today as we will continue our calls to the hall feature we're gonna we we efforted it last week we're efforting it again i'm a little bit nervous bradley is uh he pushed us back a few more hours here so as we record this we are planning to get daris kilgore on the podcast in quarter three we will record that interview tomorrow morning and as always, I tell things to people that they don't really need to know, but here we are. So Darius Kilgore, hopefully in quarter three, I'll keep my fingers crossed. And We're willing it into existence. If you book him, he will come. Okay. I, I'm with Darius it. Kilgore. I'm with it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that conversation as well. So I'm hoping, hoping everything works out in that regard. And coming up in quarter two, we've been efforting this man for a few weeks now as well in the new executive director of the Professional Lacrosse Players Association. Oh, yeah, he's also a forward for the Toronto Rock. And good Coquitlam boy as well. Got to get that in there. And Reed Reinhold will join us uh, coming up in about 15 minutes from now. We got quick sticks, something else, of course, and our Stampede Stallion of the Week, Brad Chandler. So lots to get to here on episode 104, but before I do that, it's been a bit of a wacky Monday for both of us here, but how was uh, how was the weekend previous to that? Uh, weekend was good, man. Weekend was good. A little trick-or-treating action. Oh, you we went did out. Manage, yeah, we managed to get out on Saturday night uh, safely, of course. But there was a lot of there's a lot of unique setups in the flatlands. There was people that built shoots, uh, like 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 dry yeah, yeah, like slides and stuff. Yeah, yeah, slides down from their second story window. You put your bucket underneath, and that full size chocolate bar is getting shot out. <laughs> there's one dude that built like a 15 foot Hot Wheels track. Wow. And you sit at the end of the Hot Wheels track, and he fires down a Hot Wheels car at you with a chocolate bar taped to the top. I love you it. To, you get to keep the car too. Oh man, that's that's oh, gotta yeah, be worth was, some money. Uh, I not, was not not every house was lit up, but the houses that did were clearly people that like wanted to go that extra mile. Yeah, and everybody feel good and safe, and it was great. Well, that's good. Good. I'm glad. Uh, did you did you dress up? Uh, I wore a Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction t-shirt. Okay, you were talking about which maybe... Which had some skulls on it. No, the kids were Spider-Man and Spider-Woman. I was going to go as Nick Fury wearing a patch, but it just it didn't, it didn't work out. I'm not, I'm not the, kind of the dressed-up kind of guy. Yeah, okay. I don't go on a costume very often. Uh, not to shame anybody else, but adults really, adults really should be dressing up in costume period uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you man i'm kind of with <laughs> you my take on it uh nobody really knocked on on my door i don't think anyways i kind of turned my tv up super loud and and <laughs> closed my bedroom door so if they did i probably didn't hear it but uh, you know i've been here a while and, and it's not really uh i'm in a condominium and not you're really. also in the third floor in a fourth floor, floor bradley top floor, fourth yeah. floor, oh, so, fourth floor top floor penthouse 
That's right. So I didn't have any, and I almost like I forgot it was Halloween. It was on a Saturday night. I kind of forgot it was Halloween, and I forgot about daylight savings as well. I w- woke up at like six in the morning, all disgruntled, like what's going on. Um, so, anyways, that was that I had a pretty low key weekend uh, myself, and now we are into the week here. And and I guess we got to go back to to last week before we get to our Stampede Stallion of the week. And the National Lacrosse League, Brad, making a big announcement that they have come up with a date, a timeline, if you will, for the returned face-off weekend. Uh, they, they put their stake in the ground here, and April 9th weekend is the target date for the National Lacrosse League to make its triumphant return in 2021. This is really exciting. This is the biggest piece of National Lacrosse League news we've been given probably since the cancellation of the season back in May or June, forever ago now. But we have hope. We have a target date of April 9th to 11th, hearing that Halifax may be one of the targeted cities to kick things off. Uh, Don't know where else at this point. But, you know, when I first started hearing inklings that they were going to announce a date, my gut reaction was like, why? Like, you're just going to end up disappointing people because I still don't think that April 9th to 11th is really going to be viable either. But then when you sit back and you analyze the business sense of it, you have to give something to the fans, especially in those markets like Halifax and San Diego, where you've just been there for, you know, a year or two in, in San Diego's case, yeah. a year in Halifax. But you got to give well, the even fans Vancouver, Brad. Like even in Vancouver. Oh yeah. The Warriors, I think I need to get out there too. Like they're seeing, they're seeing, you know, AHL hockey teams or whatever else is in town, Canucks, NHL, whatever, selling season tickets already for next year. And they want to be part of that buy. They got to be able to secure that if someone is going to be a sports fan in 2021 and plan to going at events, well, let's put your money in the National Lacrosse League and try to lock up some of those dollars, A, and then B, get the fans excited about a target. And I'll tell you, like, my, my passive friends that aren't, huge full-time NLLers. They were blasting texts off me this week when they heard this news saying, okay, I'm glad that some league has, has put the news out there and has given us, given us some excitement. Like there's people that I know that aren't huge NLL people that are now circling that weekend on their calendar going, Oh my God, finally I can get back to a sporting event. I was going to say, I don't, I don't know if I have any, uh, have any of those kind of friends that, that aren't, (laughs) 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 I might, I, if I, if I thought hard about it, but you're right, and and I guess with this announcement comes like tons of questions about how it's all gonna work. And I think the message from Commissioner Nick Sakevich, who uh, gave us a nice little little shout out on on Twitter, by the way, Brad. I don't know, I, I know you caught that. Uh, that was kind of cool to see the commish listening to Lax class. But I guess with that comes a lot of questions on how it's all going to work with the divisions and border travel and quarantining and fans in the stands and training camps. And so endless amount of questions. And with that, our old buddy Evan Sheminar wrote a fantastic article on Lacrosse Flash answering a lot of those questions and I think that's an excellent read for people to go. And, and if you have those kind of questions, Evan does a pretty good job of answering most of them. But I think the other message coming from Nick was that be ready to pivot on a dime here. Like things are going to change probably 10, 15 times from where we are now until we get to April. You think about it, Brad, 
when the the virus really kind of started to take over in March, what they have learned as far as transmitting and the infectiousness of it, testing, treating, all of these things that have taken place from March until November, add another six months onto that, the things they are going to be able to do, learn in that time from now until April, that much closer to a vaccine. From all accounts, from what I hear, January will be when it comes out. Now, how fast and how quickly does it get distributed? Are people going to want to take that? How many people are going to be allowed in buildings at these times? So just be ready to move and to shift on this because nothing is set in stone. Yeah. And the biggest thing for me still is still the, is the border question. Like the Nick has said, actually the national lacrosse put out a great frequently asked questions about, about this announcement. And there's some great answers in there from the league being pretty transparent on, on a few items, but you know, my, my gist from reading it is that they want all teams involved. So it's not going to be a case where it's like, Oh, only 12 teams are ready to go. We're going to continue. No, they want all teams involved. They want as many buildings as they can have involved as possible because this league is, is built around fans and, and butts and seats in local market. There may be an option of, you know, just for an instance, say San Diego is completely, uh, you cannot get into San Diego for whatever reason. Well, they're open to maybe a neutral site for, for a couple teams. If you can't get into their local markets, that's one of the things that's on the table, but the border is going to be the big one because that is completely out of anybody's control or anybody's guesses, especially with an election coming up in the States, um, you know, is this thing going to open up uh, any sooner or is it going to be prolonged? And that'll be the biggest question, because if you are a team in the States with American players probably committing to the PLL or MLL, we're going to be down American players most likely this year anyways. And you can't bring all those Canadians and keep them in your market when these guys have other gigs. So that to me is going to be the biggest hurdle. It's what they do about about this border. Yeah. And the government are, are, are the ones that control the border. Like they're they're the ones that have to say. But I really think two things with the new rapid testing that they are introducing at major airports if they're doing that now in november think about what that testing process is going to look like in the new year more advances probably quicker results all the rest of it will be coming even sooner which will help alleviate that quarantine process that you need to go through right now and nick also mentioning you know with the interview that he did with devin that they're working with the pll and the MLL, Paul Rabel and and uh, the commissioner of the MLLs escaping me, Sandy Brown. Sandy. Sandy Brown, I believe. And and he's working with Doug Louie and, and Paul Del Monte in the major series and WLA about how to make it. I mean, they're going to – don't kid yourself. They're going to do what's best for the NLL, but they are having conversations on the regular on how to kind of appease everybody so that they can play in multiple leagues at the same time and maximize – their schedules. That's big. Like, I don't think we've ever seen that before, Brad, the willingness to all kind of work together and who knows, maybe it's taken a pandemic for, to make all that happen. But I think we're, we're getting down that road finally. Well, you know, we'll talk to, I got some of these questions to read Ryan too, about kind of why now for all the PLPA changes, but you know, I'm an eternal optimist and I like to think that, yeah, this, this pandemic is kicking open all of these conversations, a lot of doors and a lot of things are going to change forever going forward. So it's going to be a good thing to have all of these, all of these decisions at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So big news coming out of the NLL market in your calendars, just maybe don't put it in permanent ink because it may change and that's okay 
We'll just have to, you know, keep crossing T's and dot and I's as we move forward into the new year. Uh, it's time to announce our Stampede Stallion of the Week. Obviously, bro- obviously, Brad, brought to you by Stampede Tack and Western Wear, Canada's lar- largest Wrangler dealer. They offer everything from Wrangler men, ladies, and kids, too. Do you need jeans? They have a large selection, a variety of styles and colors and sizes. How about a Western shirt with maybe some pearl snap buttons? Uh, you can't have too many of those, Brad. Pearl snap buttons? I no, mean, you cannot. Are you, the legendary Storm Rider, of course, they have those two flannel shirts. Perfect time of year to throw on a nice flannel shirt. And I was just perusing the website actually earlier today. New Blundstone styles have just hit the market at Stampede Tack and Western Wear. So, Brad, I know you're, you've are you been talking about these. Check it out, stampede.ca. We're shopping online. is still shopping local. Store hours on the website there as well. Check them out, stampede.ca, Stampede Stallion of the Week. I got to go last week, Brad. I picked Bruce Cod. Your turn this week, your Stampede Stallion, please. Let's head out to Peterborough, Ontario, because guys from Peterborough never get enough lacrosse credit yeah. out there, right? This is for the underdog Peterborough guys, Since <laughs> uh, my sarcasm. But this guy does fly a little bit under the radar, I believe, and Mostly because of what went down this offseason, I'm going to anoint this week your Stampede Stallion of the Week, uh, Mr. Joshua Courier of your Saskatchewan Rush, Jake Elliott. Yeah, I've mate. not played a game for the Saskatchewan Rush yet, but this is kind of why I'm, I'm shouting out Josh Courier today uh, for a few different reasons. You know, last season, or the season that just ended prematurely, uh, 17 goals in 14 games, 39 Lucies. Uh, 136 shooting percentage, not his best shooting percentage, but the year before that, 34 goals, 175 shooting percentage, 34 goals in Philadelphia, mm. guys. He was one of the leading right-handed goal scorers behind Crowley, uh, He's and he's been a force there, And but he's never been the number one righty. He's still not going to be the number one righty in Saskatchewan, and he's never been, even maybe in his junior days, but even the Man Cup winning Peterborough teams that he's been on, he's never been the number one righty. There's always been a Sean Evans or a Buchanan, and then in Philly, there's been a Crowley, as I mentioned. You know, But he's continued to, to hold his own. And what you want out of a secondary guy is a guy that contribute on a consistent basis. And when he gets his shot, he's exactly that. And if he gets more touches in Saskatchewan and gets fed by Mark Matthews, He's going to be on pace for career numbers next year in Saskatchewan. Mark my words on that. So Josh Carrier flies a little bit under the radar. The guy's a consistent goal scorer. He's a grinder. He's got some PLL experience now. Uh, He's a stampede stallion because there was also people that were kind of scratching their heads. I know Philly got some uh, uh, first-round draft picks as well in in that McIntosh trade, but Sask fans, some of them weren't really knowing what they were going to get in Josh Carrier. Oh, my God, we just lost our top-scoring player of the last four or five seasons. Who's Josh Currier? Well, Josh Currier is going to get a lot of touches in Sask, and he's going to put the ball in the net, and he's going to be a fan favorite there in no time. Yeah, he'll, he's going to be a stallion, Brad, is what he'll be. And and I know they, they had a little cup of coffee there in Peterborough together with the Lakers winning the Man Cup, but Josh Currier has never had a left-handed feeder like Mark Matthews chucking dimes down to the crease for him. And here is a guy that will do the dirty work, right? He doesn't need the ball in his stick. He can create for himself one-on-one, which I love the ability for players to be able to do that, create their own shot. Not everybody can do that. Josh can. 
But I think he's got the ability to play with anybody. He's willing to go to the middle of the floor. He's willing to set the picks. He's willing to go into the corners and pick up loose balls. And I know he may fly under the radar a little bit as far as, you know, having brother Zach there who's got, I don't know, what he win, like 14 championships in one year last year and kind of the, the five-tool guy that can do it all. Josh Moore, a predominantly pure offensive guy, but I think once you surplant him into this rush offense led by Jeff McComb around Robert Church and Matthews and Shatler, this guy's going to have a monster year, his best ever. I'm booking it right now. Josh Courier puts up career numbers, just like you said, in next year's campaign for Saskatchewan. You heard it here first on Lax Class. Uh, Josh Courier, welcome to the stable you are this week's Stampede Stallion of the Week. Brad, let's take a break and let's get to quarter two here on episode 104. And welcome Toronto Lock Forward Executive Director, brand new of the Players Association, Reed Reinhold, joins us next year on Lacrosse Classified. You got it right here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. A Vancouver Warriors game at Rogers Arena sounds like this. Jones shoots and he scores! Diving effort from Mitch Jones. Nothing's monotone. Lee and Beers go crashing into the crease. Nothing's boring. Now we're going to have a fight. It's the captain squaring off. And at Vancouver Warriors games, loads up. Nothing's offside. Tries a shot and he scores! Experience it for yourself. Vancouver Warriors tickets are available now. Tickets starting from 1995. Visit VancouverWarriors.com slash tickets today. Hey, this is the NLL Hall of Famer, Tom Marichek, listening to Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Welcome back to Lacrosse Classified right here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. You just heard from Tommy Marichek, Hollywood, and the Vancouver Warriors who let us know nothing's offside. Tickets will be back on sale in short order at Vancouver Warriors. Dot com uh, had a good chance to catch up with the Warriors this week and uh, a lot of talk, Brad, about the Warriors Academy. And this thing is uh, going to fire back up in December and January. We're going to be talking a lot about it. We'll get a couple of Warriors on the program to discuss as well. But check it out now if you want to get signed up. Vancouver Warriors dot com or you can follow them on instagram and twitter at nll warriors uh, i know you've been keeping an eye on the academy brad it seems like kids are having a blast doing this well could you not like jump on imagine jumping on the floor at rogers arena as a 16 17 you know even a 50 even kids younger than that it's a dream come true and chris gills out there and riley lowen and uh matt beers and mitch jones and you get to learn from those boys would be uh quite the thrill so yeah if i was if i was 11 12 teenager sign me up man i'm there no doubt uh i think the next man we're about to talk to played junior lacrosse with a couple of those guys you just mentioned he is now the brand new executive director of the professional lacrosse players association also a forward for the toronto rock and like i mentioned off the top a good coquitlam boy as well as we welcome to the podcast, Reed Reinhold. Reader, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, welcome to the podcast, and congratulations right off the top. Thanks, and uh, thanks for having me on here, you guys. I appreciate it. 
Our pleasure, man. Uh, and and we like to we like to keep in touch with the PLPA as as we move along here on Lax Class. That's actually one of the the ways we kind of launched uh, back when when the labor dispute was going on. Talking talking with you guys. Um, I guess let's start with the the biggest kind of news recent anyway is that that you and and the league, not you specifically, but the PLPA and and the board of governors at the NLL have agreed to kind of stave off uh, the opt-out clause in the CBA. And, and you guys get a little caveat in there as well that that's kind of in your control um, a year from now as well, which wasn't the case going into this season. Uh, talk about how that deal came to be and, and how excited you guys are to, to kind of have another year of no unrest. Yeah, it's always nice to have a, 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 a bit of labor peace, I guess you could say. You um, and that's something we've been – We've been trying to work with the league on since we came into office and that opt-out date was the one major impending deadline that we needed to take care of as soon as we got in there. And I know you and I wanted to have earlier podcasts. But <laughs> I was going to say, that's why you kept putting me off for a couple of weeks there. Yeah, so I, I wanted to get all the ducks in the row first. And, uh, and so we had some really good discussions with Jessica and Nick and the team over there with the league. And we talked uh, a little bit about some of our concerns and – and some of the issues and, and things that player reps and other players have brought up regarding this opt-out and also the potential of the next opt-out. And ultimately we decided that we wanted to work together and work together on this upcoming, I guess you could call it sort of COVID season, COVID CBA, if you will, and, um, and push this one down the road a little bit. And then the league, um, they give up, they give up sort of their large right of having a mutual opt-out and they just showed a sign of trust and goodwill towards us. And uh, I think that's something we're going to build off of. And and they've allowed it to be a players-only opt-out. And so they've essentially opted in for the next two years, which is exciting. And are those – is that year by year or is that season by season? So if, say, the season next year gets gets cut short or, God forbid, doesn't happen at all, you know, are we looking at another season down the road or another year down the road? Yeah, it goes season by season is, is how they've, they've structured it. And so is that kind of why it's open right now? Because there is so much, so much unknown. Yeah. And, and we just sort of had the mindset of we would be negotiating the next upcoming long-term CBA all the while we're negotiating this CBA for just this year. And so having those piled on top of each other would have been um, pretty difficult. Yeah. And having Nick on the program read, you know, one of the things that he stated is that he would like to see from a league side of things is, a long-term CBA upwards of eight, nine, 10 years. If that's something the PLPA could get their heads around. I, I don't know what the feeling is or the temperature is from the PLPA side of things to maybe try and strike a deal for that long. Is that something you guys have discussed? Yeah, absolutely. As, as long as it's a good, fair deal, we're totally open to any sort of term that's out there. And so, one thing we're working on with the league and we've been working on since the last CBA is, is having the players grow with the league, having our, our hand in some revenue. And so that if the league does grow over one of those longer term deals, we're growing with them and we're not just sort of being left behind and then, and then asking for our piece of the pie afterwards. Let's uh, let's go back a month or maybe even two months now, Reed, but, but yourself and Zach Courier running for president and vice president of the PLPA uh, Dave and Peter were running uh, 
unopposed uh, year after year, only only a couple times over the last decade has anybody stepped up to to oppose. But why why the thought of a new regime now? What made you guys want to come together and say, you know what, what we want to give this a go and, and, and take leadership of this group? Yeah, I'd like to first off by saying that we're very thankful, both Zach and I, along with the rest of the players, very thankful of everything Dave and Peter have done for us and all the work they've done for us over the years. And it was never anything personal against them or, or anything of that nature. It was just the fact that we felt that our union could be providing some more support and some more resources for the players. And we felt that us running was the one and the only way to get that done. Um, to get the union sort of back in the players' hands, if you will, and to really have aligned interests and to start working really for the players day in, day out. Speaking with the new executive director of the PLPA, Reed Reinhold, and I I think Brad and I both agree that, and many, I think, do read that it was, and, not, and like you said, nothing against Dave and Peter because the league would not be where it is today without them. There, that that much is, is true and clear. There does come a time when there, it's just time for some change, and I think this was the right time. My question to you is, how did your name and, and Zach names kind of come to the to the top of the heap? And and was it something that you guys wanted to pursue, or is it something some guys said, we think you should do this? How did, how did that process work? Well, after talking with some teammates and players uh, across the league, uh, the last couple of years, actually, and especially while I was, I was being a player rep um, coming into the league, you you learn a lot about sort of the behind the scenes. And then also being in the dressing room, you know what players want and expect. And it slowly became apparent the more I was involved that the players weren't exactly getting what they wanted. And so I started looking into our union bylaws and things like that probably two years ago now or so. And, and, and sorry, Reed, you are a lawyer by trade, are you not? Yeah, I was I was going to law school at the time, and then I, I just um, finished my articling, and I just wrote the bar this summer. Okay. And and so I was I checked out the union bylaws, and I learned that we had our you know our elections every three years, and how everything operated. And so I was initially looking around for potentially somebody else, somebody more senior or something like that. But as I looked around, I, I started to feel more and more like I was the right person for the job. And so was Zach. And there was a group of sort of like-minded players who all felt similarly. And we started to discuss what we wanted to see change, what sort of our platform would be. And then Zach and I were on a number of conference calls and we received support from a number of different players and we decided to, to roll with it. Can you talk about some of those things, Reed? What platforms and initiatives that you and Zach have or the feedback that you've gotten from players, what they would like to see from the PLPA moving forward? Yeah, I think the number one thing was just communication. Um, we've, we felt like there could be more consistent and better communication um a lot of the time players felt like they weren't up to date with the union activities and that was something that we felt was relatively easy to fix it just took some effort and um that was one of the very major things that a lot of players really saw eye to eye with are these things like like injury compensation and and things along that line yeah those those are part of it um but just just staying up to date on 
what is what has our union done for us the last three months? Have uh, they got in new sponsors, new business partners, and before now we we didn't really have very many, and that's something we're going to be pursuing. We thought we needed an updated website to help communicate not only with the players through a player login, but also with the general public and start having a social media sort of footprint. And we offer a very unique product as the, as the lacrosse players union, we have 300 and some odd of the best lacrosse players in the world. And that's a very interesting and unique thing to be able to offer businesses and sponsors and things like that. And so we just felt like there was a lot of untapped potential that we weren't taking advantage of. Speaking with Reed Reinhold here on lax class and, and Reed, I don't like, I, I don't know what you can touch on what you can't. So if there's something that you can't just let me know, but uh, Chaka Bainbridge, pretty outspoken about him being exiled, if you will, when and before the vote had taken place. Can you answer this cut and dry? Is he back in the mix and be able to represent players now that you guys are the new leadership? Um, right at this current moment, he's not. Okay. Um, but Chaka is, in my opinion, an awesome agent, and he's been a friend, and He's someone I would like to see back in the mix at some point. Um, but another thing that we've been working on is is really abiding by the democratic process and being transparent with our players and our, our player reps. And so that's something that we're going to be discussing going forward. Okay, fair enough. And, and I know one of the other kind of issues, and I think you were kind of a part of this, and Scott Furlong was as well, if I'm not mistaken, when, and, and we always kind of seem to go back to it and, and the Callum Crawford hit on Brad Cree and the appeal process and how that all worked. And a lot of people, I think, including yourself, felt like Brad Cree was kind of left out in the wind as far as being represented. Everything was kind of going to bat for Callum and, and that's all fine and dandy. I think that's what the PA should do. But that kind of left Brad Cree going like, hey, what what about me? I'm the one that got clocked in the head here. And I think a proposal was kind of brought on how the maybe how to improve the appeals process a little bit and was kind of pushed aside. Can you revisit that? And is that something that you guys are going to try and implement moving forward? Yeah, we've had some preliminary discussions with Jessica, and that's something that the two of us have both expressed that we want to work on. Uh, we know that it's something that the players – are interested in as well. With Brad Cree, you know, he was my teammate at the time, so I got to see firsthand. And it was a unique situation where, you know, we have the union who's expected to represent a player when they've been too greatly or unjustly um, disciplined against by the employer. And so the union was expected to represent Callum and fight for a lower suspension, which they did. The more of the issues I have is sort of on the league side is where I see a bit of conflict. And I'd like to have a bit more of an independent panel making the disciplinary decisions similar to the NHL. And there's also a bit of a flaw with the rule of repeat offender as well. I don't think it should just be a straight five game suspension for a repeat offender. That should just be one of a list of factors, you know. Was the conduct malicious? Was a repeat offender? Like all those types of things should be taken into account, not just, okay, he's a repeat offender, automatic five-game suspension. I think there needs to be more going into it than that. 
Well, if you're looking for someone independent to be on that panel, that should have been uh, at least a five-game suspension for Calum Crawford. On <laughs> All biases aside, you know. But uh, we were talking last week, Reed, about uh, Travis Cornwall kind of stepping up and doing a, doing a rookie handbook for, for the rookies heading into the league next year. Uh, can you touch on that a little bit and, and, and what that would look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a cool initiative that Travis had talked to me about even before any of the election stuff happened and um, he wanted me to help out with a bit of the law in there. And he sent me over his draft copy and we've been working it back and forth, uh, updated some numbers and we've, uh, we've reached out to some of our workers comp attorneys to, to clean up that section. And I think it's going to be handy, not just for rookies, but for all the players to have, it's just a quick, easy breakdown of the CBA, you know, your rights and obligations. It's uh, it's going to be super handy. It's going to be uh, an interesting summer read as we're, you know, hopefully having face-off weekend April 9th. And we're going to have National Lacrosse League action again, hopefully all through the summertime. And we're going to see challenges we've never seen before with guys, um, you know, having, having to, to not play summer lacrosse that, that normally would or, or PLL guys and MLL players trying to shuffle back and forth. Um, just what's your thought on the NLL moving to this summer this year and what kind of uh, challenges that's going to present for you guys? Yeah, our, our league has so many unique challenges and having competing leagues is just another one of those challenges that we have. Uh, and then we're only playing on weekends too, so there's only so much you can do to balance the two. But what we've done on our end is we're starting to assemble, a, I, we're calling it a return to play committee. And so we're having, we're asking for players who are in those other leagues to help talk to us about their concerns and their issues and the way it stands right now, if somebody wanted to make the most amount of money who played in the NLL and the PLL, they would play the first couple months of the NLL and then they'd switch over to the PLL and play the remainder with, with the PLL, at least for some players, I guess, not every single one of them. And so that's uh, it's a very difficult thing for us to navigate, um, but we're going to be working on it with the league. We know we have almost 100 guys in the PLL and MLL and I know personally, I was looking forward to playing for the Coquitlam Adnax this upcoming summer. But that's as was I, Reed. As was I. <laughs> gonna be a wagon. Yeah. No. Uh, it, it's gonna yeah. That'll be, be that'll be interesting. You know. It, it really will to see how all that plays out, man. And and I I just you know I, I listening to Nick, I think that the most positive thing to come out of it is that those talks are happening between all the leagues to try and make it work for everybody and do what's best for everybody, which ultimately is, is the player at the end of the day and, and make it accessible for them. And, and so the fans can watch their favorite players and their favorite leagues um, alike. And, and that's, that's great to see that that door has been opened as far as the communication goes. Yeah, exactly. They have weekly or biweekly calls with those leagues and, and that makes it super helpful to know, on our end that they're working to come to a, a solution together because we have a huge chunk of our membership that play in those other leagues yeah. and we're very cognizant that we need to represent their rights just as much as the rest of the membership. Uh, it's great to hear Reed, man. I cannot be more fired up for, for you and, and Zach and the PLPA. Just remember, you know, when, when the shaving kits or the, the charging stations or the toques or whatever, <laughs> when they come out, Brad and I are, are, are on the list there somehow, some, some way I w- would appreciate it. Okay. I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Reed. Uh, Thanks, be buddy. well. Thanks for doing this. Uh, congratulations again, and, and we'll talk soon, man. 
Okay, thanks, guys. Talk to you later. There you go. New executive director of the PLPA. And, of course, we didn't even get to any Toronto Rock talk, man. Like, uh, we'll have to have Reed back on because uh, it's not... that Toronto Rock team, man, like, they are going to be a wagon on defense. And, and they're getting pieces back on O, too. Like, I, I think people are kind of sleeping on Toronto a little bit. I know, like Adam Jones is a people aren't done with Adam Jones. You know, he hasn't played a lot of lacrosse last healthy year. Healthy Schreiber, but a committed Adam Jones, a healthy Schreiber, healthy Rob Reed Reinhold in yeah. his prime. Dan Dawson, healthy Reed Reinhold dishing it out. And that D, that, uh, that yeah, defense, Mike is disnew and no is going to be insane. and like that. And, you know, That's and I be think scary. because they were be so scary. they so they were so quiet at the draft. That people are kind of like, oh, what did Toronto do? They didn't improve. Like, no, they've done all the work already. Like that team is loaded for bear mm-hmm. and ready to go when when the ball yeah. goes down on the turf. So Dan Dawson, oh. Dan Dawson anointing Dan Craig an NFL yeah. superstar one day. I think was, was what he said. Well, like that, you, you got to believe you, him. You listen when Dan Dawson speaks up. I'm buying whatever. I trust his scouting report. I'm buying whatever the dangerous one is selling, unless it's like too dangerous, and then maybe not. All right. The Hall of Famer, Darius Kilgore, joins us next here on Lax Class 104, quarter three, coming up. Lacrosse Flash, Podcast Network. This is Hall of Fame netminder Dallas Elliott. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Welcome back to Lax Class. Into the third quarter we go. We've been trying to run this guy down for a couple of weeks now. We finally got him on the line. It's our continuing series, Calls to the Hall. And this time, it's Hall of Fame member Darius Kilgore. His number 43 hangs in the rafters in Buffalo. A three-time NLL champion. All-time face-off leader, I believe, in Bandit history as well. Coach of the Bandits for an extended period of time as well. The The resume is a long one. Uh, Darius, uh, congratulations on, on being inducted to the Hall of Fame way back when, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I know it was a bit of a challenge to, to get you on here, but here we go. Um, how are things, man? How, how is Darius Kilgore doing? It's been a while since uh, we have talked. I want to say... The last time we probably had a conversation was like in a hotel room in Toronto at the draft, uh, probably a decade ago or something. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time since uh, I've been around the league, but uh, I've been doing good. You know, I was coaching down in uh, Cataraugus Reservation, coaching Junior Bs. We went to five straight founders, and I'm very happy to say that I got about four or five kids that are in the NLL now, and you know, very proud of that fact. Very proud of them for the work they put in, and you know, I've just been coaching. Um, you know, obviously this last year. Really, nothing was going on around here. Everything was shut down, so didn't really get to coach this summer. Um, but you know, I, I've always been coaching my kids and and all their friends. So, man, I just just in my blood, and uh, I'll, I'll probably never stop. Yeah, talk talk about that, Darius. Before we kind of get into your career and and all that stuff, but um, I, I read an article in in I want to say on IL Indoor talking about four of the Iroquois National members that are not from the traditional Six Nations territories in, in Shatler and Hogarth and Kyle Jackson, and I'm missing the fourth guy, Brad. I don't know if you can help me out with that or not. But um, it's been 
you know, predominantly the best players have come out of that kind of territory, but now we're starting to see more and more players, Zed Williams, kind of come from territories that haven't been traditional lacrosse hotbeds. And, and Seneca, who are the players that you have coached on that on that War Chiefs team that are now in the NLL? Uh, we'll go Abrams is one, Clay, Clay uh, Hill's one. Um, I believe, uh, what's his name, uh, Clay Scanlon's going to be drafted, Connor Fields, uh, uh, Marvin Curry was drafted. He's uh, he's not in a league now, but he was drafted. Um, and, and there's actually, you know, a bunch more that I can name that I thought should have got a shot. Tommy Scanlon for sure. Yeah. Even at this point, he's like 24, 25 years old. I'm probably like 26 years old now. But uh, he definitely deserves a shot. Another guy would be Blade Garlow. Um, I, I think he, he deserves a shot. He has, you know, tremendous talent and, and a really hard work, a great attitude. Um, you know, I mean, I just a shot. I don't know if they'd make it or not, but uh, it's so hard um, for that reservation because, like, uh, it, they don't like to leave the reservation, really. You know what I mean? Yeah, they like to yeah. be in the community, and it's a very strong community. Um, so it was really hard to get them to, you know, to go out and try and get that experience. And they also have the general for the Iroquois Nationals when I was talking to some of them about coming out for the team. They're like, oh, they already have it picked. It's going to be an underdog, and it's going to be Six Nations, and – you know, so they, they they had their built-in excuses, and it was, you know, a lot of time of chopping down those walls and, and talking to the Iroquois about, hey, let's just go have a tryout down there. You know, Josh Becker, he came, he, he's part of that reservation right. out of Salamanca. Um, you know, there's some really good players. That's probably one of the most talented reservations that nobody's ever heard of. You know, I mean, they, they don't know where it's at or anything like that, but... They are – everybody plays across down there, yeah, and they're well, all so talented. You see them show up to President's Cups, man, and, and like, you just kind of, like – I always get taken back when, when I see that team come and the amount of talent and good ball players that, that come from there. I'm just like, why are these guys not playing – Senior A or, or NLL across, and you're and you're kind of telling me it's because they feel most comfortable on that reservation. They 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 don't really want to leave it. Honestly, when I first started coaching in junior B's, there was players that were eligible to play junior B like of age, but they they would skip juniors and try and go play presidents right away. You know, can <laughs> and uh, that was what that's that was where their goals were to to be part of the can be part of the nation. And, and what's really scary is, like, obviously Newtown's one of the teams you always hear from coming out there, Pinewood, stuff like that. Yeah. There's, like, four teams on that reservation where they, it's, like, the reservation is so big, it's, like, split up. If you're from this area, you play from this team. If you're from this area, you play from that team. They don't really get along. And if they would just put one team together, I think they would dominate the President's Cup year after year after year. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. Darius, talk about how that translates over into the National Lacrosse League. Because uh, you know, about the familiarity uh, for familiarity of of Iroquois players staying together. You know, like I look at a team like the Georgia Swarm, who has a large contingent of the Iroquois players, and the Thompsons, and the Stotts, and the Bomberries. And then you know, going back a few years, Rochester always had a, had a nice core group there. But is it important, you think, for for players from the reservation to kind of stick together and band together on NLL rosters? Does that make the experience a little bit more an easier transition for them into the pros? I, I really think it depends on, on where you're coming from. Like, if you never if you never went to college and, and got the experience of really being off the reservation, um, then it would be, you know, a little bit difficult. And I, and I know that's some things that some guys worry about and, and a little trepidation about doing it. But, you know, you see a guy like Zeddy who went and did four years. He's, he's fine. He can go anywhere now. You know what I mean? But it is really, like, especially for – 
um, you know, the reservations like Catarogs and Onondaga, they really are a tight-knit group, and they really, you know, have trouble leaving the res and being part of, you know, a society that's not what they, what they feel or what they think. And, and, you know, it's very subtle differences in how the Native and, and, the, and the white man thinks, but it really it really is when you're out by yourself, it is, it's is—it's very different, you know, and it, it is, it can be overwhelming if you allow it to be, but if you have a great support group and, and you believe in yourself and you want it, you can always make it happen. Speaking with the Hall of Famer, Darius Kilgore, and, and I mentioned off the top, number 43, hanging in the rafters for the Buffalo Band. It's three championships there as, as well, Darius. Uh, a Mike Kelly Award back with the Six Nations Chiefs as well. Uh, before going on to your your coaching career, all time penalty minutes leader and face us for the bandits as well as I as I scan your Wikipedia page here, man, what a career, Darius. Um, do you have one championship that sticks out over over the others in, in your illustrious career? I, I, for me, it would have to be one of the man cups. Every time we played uh, New West, it was a a brutal series, but uh, I can't remember who was. Uh, Exactly what year, 93, 94, we played out in New West, and, and it was uh, one of probably the most vicious series. 95, I've ever of, 95, of, I believe that and, was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, I know I, we had like, you know, two or three line fights. We had a bench clear. <laughs> oh, Every shift, guys were just taking runs at each other. Yeah. Yeah. It I think was, both uh, coaches got suspended in that series, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Miles General running around wreaking havoc. Uh, that was that was a wild one and, and a hard fought one. I think you guys got it done in six games, but that new S team was no slouch. But that was uh, that might have been the best box lacrosse team I've ever seen talent wise. That that Chiefs team that came to New West stacked. I would it'd be pretty close, but you know what, man? I put either of the Brampton teams I played on right up next to them, man. If not above them, I mean, uh, you know. We were really good in Six Nations, and we had some really big names and stuff, but Brampton was a tough, tough team. And, man, you know, you can't take away from guys like Jim Veldman and, and Troy Cordingly and Brian Shanahan and Neil Doddridge and Bill Gary. And, I mean, that, the list goes on and on there. Yeah. You know, for myself, Rich, uh, Randy Mearns. You know, I mean, it was every every line was, was – and, and back then, you know, we played both ways. So there was, you know, three right. lines and three extras. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, to be part of that was really special. And, and I can't thank all the players that were around me back then enough. Um, you know, I was very, very fortunate. You know, I played on two great teams in St. Catharines. And then I went right to Brampton, had two really good teams there. Then the Bandits come in and we had great teams there. And then I went on to Six Nations and, and like, they, they might have been the most talented. Yeah. So, I mean, I was very lucky over my career to, to play with great teammates and have great coaching. You coached um, some great players as well, Darius, and I want to talk about uh, GT, John Tavares, for a second. You know, he's he's a fantastic coach now in the league. He's been to a finals already and just didn't think it was his first or second season. You know, did you did you recognize the coaching ability in, in JT from an early from an early standpoint? Honestly, no, I didn't. I didn't know JT would be this this good of a coach. But you know, when uh, we were up in office Austin, and I was coaching up there, and he was playing. Um, there was a game. Um, he wasn't really hurt, but you know, he had hamstring iffy, and I didn't really want to risk it going in the playoffs. So I was just like, "Hey, man, come stand on the bench with us." And you know, and he really took to coaching. Like I was really surprised at how attentive he was to each shift and you know what's the plan going out here guys what are we doing and blah 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 but uh 
you know, he, he's made the tr- transition uh, very well. And uh, obviously they have a really good team. And, you know, it's just sad that they uh, couldn't finish the season out this year because I know they were they were on a, you know, a good roll and had some uh, big expectations. Do you did you know that you wanted to get into coaching almost right away, Derek? Like you went right from kind of your playing days right into coaching. Is that something that was always kind of in your mind that you wanted to do and, and knew that you would be good at? Honestly, no. I I start coaching when I was 21 and at my local high school, and that was only because my mom came to me and my little brother was still playing on the team, and she's like, "Hey, listen, the coach doesn't know what he's doing. He's not a cross guy." He said, <laughs> "If you were willing, you know, come on out." And I'll tell you what, I really love coaching field lacrosse more than box cross. Really? Um, in co- in coaching terms, I look at it like this: uh, field lacrosse is like chess. And box cross is like checkers. Mm. Box cross happens so fast. You can draw up any plan you want. There's so many, so many variables and options. And, you know, everybody's got to be on the same page to run a true offense. Where in field across, you can take your time, set it up, get it to the person you want, get the matchup you want. And then from there, it's just, if you got one person that can beat their man, then it's just about the slides and, and how you how you move the ball behind the slides. I, I really think coaching has a bigger impact in field lacrosse and box. Box is more about motivation, keeping them on the same page, stay together as a team, stuff like that, you know? Well, I got I to gotta ask you here, Darius. Uh, my buddy, one of my best friends in, in Kyle Cooling, who I know you coach there in Buffalo, um, talked to me about you when, when he was playing there as a coach, and he brought up the book. Now, I don't know if, if you still got this thing, but you – and for people that don't know, you were kind of the guy that revolutionized how defense is played in the NLL with turning guys down the wall and, and kind of facing the boards and taking away topside and all that sort of stuff. Do you still have the – like it's almost like a, a kind of like a Bible of lacrosse, if you will, on, on your coaching strategies and techniques. Do you still have that thing? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, I, I was really, you know, I, I was so lucky um, back in the day about how things worked out with my job. Um, my my boss had just opened up this store, and I went to work in this in this small little tiny store on the reservation. And like for the first while, I didn't get a lot of customers because nobody knew what was there and bought, and all that stuff. So I basically sat there for eight hours a day, and man, I, I just wrote. <laughs> I that wrote. Awesome. I, I did X's and O's. I did, you know, and then what I really started thinking about and where the pressure came from is, look, if you give great players time and space, great decisions come from that. Mm. You know, if you let a good shooter have time and space and hands free, he's going to beat the goalie in the NLL. I don't care. I don't care how good the goalie is. Shooters are too good. Well, you're living proof if of I that. If I give a guy time and space, he's going to find that open man. So what I wanted to do basically was, make every offensive player play faster than his mind could work. You know, timing space, you take that away, it turns into bad decisions, bad decisions turn into turnovers, turnovers turn into fast breaks, fast break turn into easy goals. That was my whole mindset. Physicality, I think, was a huge part of that too. Like looking back on those those bandit teams in particular, Darius, like those were the those were the big bad bandits that we all talk about now looking back as some of the most physical and intense and aggressive lacrosse we've ever seen. And then the league has gotten away from that. It's a little bit more athletic now. And, and the players are, are a lot better than they were a couple decades ago too. But, you know, how much of that physicality you think still needs to be or can be 
part of the game for successful teams. Like, are we missing some of that right now? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, I mean, fans really want to see people that care, you know, not like, not like, you know, I'm going to help you up. Um, I remember Paul Tucker asked me one time, you know, my first year I ran into him, I was doing some scouting up in Kitchener and I ran into him when we were talking and he said, what do you want? What do you want from your team? I said, I want to knock the guy down and then ask him if he has a problem. And if he does take care of it, <laughs> I want every, I want every team in the league to know. And I remember when Kurt, when Kurt Soka hired me, I told him, I said, be ready to be the most hated team in the NLO. We will be the most penalized and we will be the most hated. Yeah. If you can handle that, then I can be your coach. Yeah, I mean, and, and it was it's more it's sorry, more, it's, it's you know, I said this in and when I got inducted into the CLA Hall of Fame out in Vancouver, I, I, I said and this this was my dad's mentality. You know, my dad always told me, play so hard they never want to play you again. You get in a fight, punch so hard they never want to fight you again. And I really wanted my players to understand that. Like, it is truly a mental game. If they're coming in worried about what we're going to do to them, then they're not concentrating on what they need to do to beat us. You know, they're looking for fights. We're just playing because that's the way we played. So it was no big deal to have a rough game. We could get through it. But the other guys, you could see it wearing on them, wearing on them. They could play with us for two quarters, maybe three quarters. But by the time the fourth quarter comes – we had the mental advantage. They were looking for an excuse to lay down, and we pulled out a lot of fourth quarter victories when I was there. No doubt about it. Speaking with Hall of Famer Darius Kilgore, and, and is that where the fire came from, Darius? I mean, both you and Richie played played with some heat. I mean, uh, is, is that where it came from, your father? Did he instill that into your guys' game? Did he teach you and introduce you to the sport of lacrosse? Um, he, he did. I mean, it was it was on a reservation, and, you know, my mom was like, you know, we got to do something in the summer. <laughs> so, you know, just through, you know, being on the reservation, lacrosse is a natural progression. And my dad never played a game of lacrosse in his life. He couldn't pass or catch, but he might have been the best, smartest coach I ever had in my life. When when we were in when we were a novice, he'd tap you on the, on the shoulder when you were on the bench. And, and when you turned around, he'd say, how much time is left? What's the score? Where's the 30-second shot clock at? Like, these were all things you had to be aware of when you played for him. And that's – I coached in the NLL and had guys unaware of the 30-second shot clock. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, like, it was – it was it, it blew my mind how little they truly understand the game of lacrosse now. Back in the day, everybody did that. But nowadays, it's so coached and – you know what I mean? Like, they, they don't have to think anymore. Where back in the day, like with my dad, he could tell you, hey, here's a good play, but he couldn't teach you how to pass and catch. Interesting. You know, so you had a lot of things you had to figure out on your own. Where today, man, it's here's how to pick up a ball. Here's how to cradle the ball. Here's how to do You get so much overcoaching that guys really lose the, you know, the, the spontane, spontaneity of, of, of the game. I mean, it really is a spontaneous game, you know? Yeah, it is. Any part of you want to get back behind a NLL bench one day? Yeah, he took my question. I, You know what? I actually reached out um, to Bob Hamley. It was the first uh, time that I reached out since uh, since Buffalo. So, like, for the first time in about 10 years, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of reaching out to guys and put my name back out there, and I definitely want to get back in the NLL. Yeah, and, and why wouldn't you, Darius? I mean, I think I think somebody surpassed you now, but there was a time when you were the all-time leader in wins, and 
I know that must have been a, a tough thing for you, kind of departing from Buffalo, where you spent your entire playing career for the most part. Uh, anyway, I think a couple of years in in Washington and Albany, if I'm not mistaken. But and then a long time there as a coach as well. That must have been like a really difficult thing for you to kind of part ways with the Bandits and and have that time go by. That was. Uh... That was probably one of the hardest things in my life. Um, and not just because, you know, Buffalo and this and that, but uh, the way the way it went down, the the way I handled certain situations, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot more going on than just than, than just the bandits. You know, at that time I was going through a divorce um, and it was it was not a, you know, a, a, a cool one. It was. Uh, yeah, it was hard on me. You know, my kids went to live two of my kids went to live with my ex-wife and, and Tyler stayed with me. So. You know, at least I had Kyler, but you know, I, I I lost her, I lost my family, and I lost the band. It's all within a year. That's tough, man. And you know, I didn't handle it really well, and I needed the time away from the game. That's why I didn't reach out to anybody, you know. Um, and and I really needed that time to work on myself, get get the positive energy back, um, because I know the last year, last year and a half, I was in Buffalo. You know, I mean, I don't want to say I checked out, but I knew that I knew the team wasn't really listening to me. You know, there were a couple of players on a team that I didn't see eye to eye with, and management made it obvious that they were going to go with the players, not with my opinion. So I mean, that was really. <laughs> hey, Dara says we both you know, know coaches are are hired to be fired, and and when when it comes down to it, the players will always win that battle, man. So um, it's it's you know that that's that's just the circle of life as far as coaching goes, I would think. Oh, for sure. I told Rich, man, I, Rick, when Rich was first start talking about getting in the lacrosse or coaching and this and that, and I said, listen, man, here's what you got to understand about coaching. The first day you're hired is one day closer to being fired. <laughs> it happens to everybody. I work in radio. That think- works the same way there. <laughs> I was going to ask if, um, you know, all, all the coaching you've been doing at, at younger levels uh, recently, has that sort of rekindled the fire? Have you got a different look, a different appreciation for the game uh, by, by, by watching the youngsters come up. For sure. For sure. The best thing about, you know, there's a couple of things I truly love working with young guys. Number one is when they, when they really buy in and they're trying to improve and you start showing them little things, you know, like just small little things, how you're positioned, how the defense man is positioned and what you can take advantage of that. And at first it's like, Oh yeah, I get it. I get it. But they don't really get it. And then all of a sudden they do it and it works and they, you can almost see them turn around and look at you. Light there's bulb. a light bulb above yeah. their head going, oh, <laughs> that's what you mean. That's almost I like wanna, the most. I want to light that light bulb. That's the most satisfying thing as a coach, is it not, Darius? When you see the light bulb go off in a kid and they get it and it's like, there. That like That's almost the most rewarding thing you can have as a coach. I, I think so. And and the best part about that is when you give a good piece of advice, then they become a sponge. Yeah. Then they're like, give me another one. Give me another one. <laughs> yeah. So you got to be very careful with, with what you say and what you're trying to get across. Like one of the things I've been, I've been studying for, you know, ever since, you know, going on the last decade, power of words, man. You know, like people don't, when you hear people talk, they really don't, know what they're saying because of the words they use you know they they use big adjectives like this is the greatest day of my is it really the greatest day of your life or are you just trying to convince me that it's your greatest day of your life when i was coaching i wanted the players to know this is how i truly feel this is how i this is what i think and if you trust me and we go with this we'll be okay and the other thing is man when you lose that trust of a player 
it is so hard to get him back on your side. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was sort of what happened in Buffalo. Like I lost, I lost the trust of a couple of players and I lost some really good leaders. So when you don't have the trust of a couple of players and you don't have that strong leadership that is backing you up, things go sideways real quick. Yeah. No doubt about and, it. You know, no doubt that, about it. Hey man. Uh, I mean, that was all on me. Yeah. Well, Hey, uh, you know what? I, I don't know if it, if it was Darius, I think that's, that's kind of a two way street there as well. So Listen, man, I, uh, I'm i so glad that, that we got a chance to, to make this happen. It's good to hear that, that you're doing well and the fire's still burning. I truly believe everybody deserves a second chance, and I really hope you get one back in the National Lacrosse League. I think you deserve it. And, and I just want to say, man, that you are one of the most funnest players that I ever had a chance to watch play the game. Like, I, I really enjoyed the way you played the sport i think you played it the way it's meant to be played and you were really one of my favorite players to watch so i just want to say thanks for that as well i appreciate that man it means a lot you know i mean when 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 you right when you retire it's like yeah 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 but when you hear it you know after being retired you know at a young age and being away from it for so long to hear people still say like you know i got people that come up to me and like i was eight years old when i went to the one of the first bandit games and you're one of the reasons why I kept going back. Like that is special. And I'll never, I can't, I can't tell anyone how much it means for me to hear that said to me. And, and I appreciate you having me on here and I love talking about the old times and, and everything like that. So I, I say thank you very much. Yeah. You're more than welcome, Darius. Thanks for doing this and uh, be well. And, and uh, hopefully we cross paths soon, man. For sure. For sure. You too. There you go. There is number 43, Darius Kilgore. And Brad, man, like uh, we said, we were going to keep him like 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> I think, again, like these Hall of Famers, I feel like we could just go an hour just talking to them. No problem. Oh, easy, easy. That's, that's an all-timer for sure. And we had Dallas Elliott on a couple weeks ago, and I think you asked him the hardest shot he ever faced, and the first thing he said was Darius Kilgore. So it's not just the fans and the media that appreciates Darius Kilgore, it's, it's his peers, too, the guys that he played against. We've had a lot of guys on the show that have referenced his intensity and his ferocity by name lots of times. So, you know, he's uh, he's appreciated by all. I'm super happy we got to talk to him today. Me, too. And our calls to the Hall series, all, of course, brought to you by Stampede Tech and Western Wear, Canada's largest dealer of Wrangler jeans, men's, ladies, kids. They have it all. Classic cut cowboy jeans, premium denim, Georgia straight, retro fit. It's all there. Stampede.ca, where shopping online is still shopping local. Or uh, head out there to Cloverdale. They've been there since 1966. Corner 180th and Highway 10 in the Dale. Great conversation there with Darius Kilgore. We got to take a break and get to the fourth quarter. Quick sticks and something else coming up here on episode 104. Keep it right here. Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Associated Labels and Packaging. A fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. With 40 years of experience, an extensive product catalog, and an ever-growing fleet of equipment, Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. Hey, this is John Gertler, the voice of the Buffalo Bandit. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified, growing the game one podcast at a time. Quarter four, lax class 104, no more breaks. Quick sticks is what comes at you 
in the forest. Something else coming up as well. Not before I tell you about our friends at Associated Labels and Packaging. Uh, Sean Ashworth and the gang down there in Coquitlam. I, I've talked about this before. Sean Ashworth, a big San Francisco 49ers fan. I am a big Seattle Seahawks fan. Those two teams uh, played just a couple of days ago, and my Hawks had my, had their way with the Niners. So that brought a smile to my face, and, and I know uh, Sean's out a bunch of money after that game as well. Uh, he said he was either going to be rich or poor, uh, so I'm assuming he's you know he's checking his bank. So no better time to support one of our fabulous sponsors here, an Associated Labels and Packaging, flexible packaging in the pet product industry, packing solutions to prevent food waste. It's all updated on their blog. Check the news tab at associatedlp.com/news. And learn about it all, always adapting with the environment and mind, family-owned. Down there in Coquitlam, associated labels and packaging best in the business. As we bring you to Quick Sticks, J.K. L. Brad Challenger with you. And uh, what do we got here for Quick Sticks, Brad, this week? Uh, let me pull this up. Uh, where do we want to start? Oh, let's start. We were just talking to Reed Reinhold, Toronto Rock, uh, a, a little while back. The Rock Elite Pro League starting up at the track here. Similar to the XLL, Brad, but uh, shorter rosters, only 12 per. But did you see the rosters of these four teams that are going to play in the Rock Elite Pro League? My goodness. Yeah, Wagon Central. Lot, basically, all the Toronto Rock. Every Rock player that lives out east, essentially, can be playing in that league. A uh, ton of NLL superstars. It's going to be it's gonna be a heck of a league, man. But I, I threw out the idea. I think yeah, that was I'm gonna great. A, I'm going to add a caveat to it, too. Winner of the Rock Elite League plays the champion of the Extreme Lacrosse League, Commissioner Elliott. Mm. Let's let's hold it in a neutral site. We'll get everybody to, Saskatchewan. to impose themselves on Regina or, or yeah, Saskatoon sometime uh, sometime halfway the, the season. Right, halfway. Uh, That's halfway. Well, uh, yeah. Actually, Ontario is big, man. Thunder Bay might be halfway. <laughs> we'll the talk. We'll discuss. Uh, I'll get. I'll get Dowick on the horn. I'll talk to to Randy Clough. Maybe uh, we can make this thing happen. I think it's a great idea. I'm taking Team White in in the pro league back east. Uh, there, by the way. Speaking of the XLL schedule, has been released for uh, the Tai, the Wolves, the Bears, and the Skyhawks. Uh, Ten week season. Uh, 10 game season, I should say. So this is, is getting going on the 18th, still working on streaming details. So stay tuned for that, but hoping to get the games at least videoed and then upload the following day. So fans have some, some lacrosse to watch at least. Uh, what else do we got here in quick John Grant jr. Stinging corners, like nobody's business, uh, playing with his new true lat hazardous head. Did you see the, my, like, I don't <laughs> I'm just watching like he's out there on a casual Sunday nobody and he's just like ripping corners like they're going out of style like put Junior back on a roster on a power play in the league and he's getting 45 points a year. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say 20 25 goals, couple couple apples on on the power play. Still got it. Does uh does the go check out True Lacrosse as well. Uh, mention the Sheminauer article across flash. Check that out. Uh, mention the commissioner's little shout out on Twitter, which was cool. Uh, a lot of people asking me to get 
somebody from the Ontario Junior A Lacrosse League on on the program to discuss the the 22 year old age limit increase in Ontario Junior. They're voting on that November the seventh, and I plan to have somebody, maybe Doug Louie. I don't. I, I don't know, Sanderson, may, I don't know which direction I'm going to go in, but I want to wait and see how that vote plays out, and then we'll we'll get somebody on the program. So stay tuned. Well, the way that, yeah, we'll see. The, the way that Ontario is talking is that it's it's going to go through. Or, and, and I get confused because I read some opinions that they say it's nothing to do with COVID. It's something we've wanted to do for years. Mm-hmm. This is just our year to do it now and we can continue doing it for the future. Mm-hmm. And then I see, you know, they're posting comments from players and all I read is one more year, just one more, one more year, one more year. I just want one more shot, one more shot. Well, that tells me the exact opposite of what we've been kind of told from yeah. the Ontario Junior Lacrosse well, League. So we'll, this we'll is see how why. This plays out. And we're still, as we learned from Carl and we've talked about the last couple of shows, um, we're waiting for the science. Right? Yeah. The science comes out in, in May. There's a big study going into it. Hashtag science. This isn't just bro science. This is real science. And then we can then we can figure it out and yeah. kind of talk from there. But until that is out there, we leave things as is. Like I said, and, and let, if you have a kid playing in minor or junior, you have an invested interest, your opinion doesn't carry out any weight with me because you can't see clearly. And that's fair. Like, I get that. But why people are in such a rush to make a change, like a permanent change, for the sake of making a change, let's wait and see what the data says. That's what's happening in Alberta and BC. And listen, whatever Ontario does, unless the two other provinces that compete in the Minto Cup come to a mutual agreement, which they can do, say they all get to the Minto and say, okay, we're going to allow... Just 21-year-olds in Ontario has to drop five or six guys off the roster. That Maybe they agree to that. Maybe BC and Alberta at the start of their playoffs said, okay, like uh, if you want 22-year-olds, then maybe you allow us to pick up five of the best BC lacrosse players and add them to the BC champion. Could you imagine that? There's Yes, I can. The final and they go, wait a second. Uh, hey, Reed Reinhold, or no, sorry, hey, Reed Bowring. Uh, how would you like to come play for a Minto Cup? Yeah. Hey, Trey LeClaire, how would you like to come play for a Minto? That's what we're talking about. Well, that is what we're talking about, and that's not out of the realm of possibility. Like, right now, Alberta still gets to call up three extra guys when their Minto Cup team representative is announced. They get to pick up the next three best Alberta-born players to join their roster for the Minto Cup. So I don't know how much longer that's going to last either. But for me, if Ontario wants to push this through and do and and – Personally, I think it's because St. Catharines was scheduled to host the Minto Cup, and they probably had a stacked team full of 21-year-olds that aren't going to get a chance to do that. So they're pushing to get one more year for those guys so they can play with their team, host the Minto Cup, and be a dominant for Again, I get it. But what is the point of doing this if the other two provinces in the CLA decide they're not going to do it of playing a full year with 22-year-olds only to get to the Minto Cup and have to say, sorry, guys, but if we want to compete, you can't play. What is the point of that? So unless everybody does it, I don't see why Ontario would do it, and I'm not sure the other two provinces or the rest of the country is going to do it, depending on what that scientific data says. I'm starting to get worked up, Brad, so let's move along. And this is probably going to get me fired up as well. Ground ball versus loose ball. What says you? 
Well, who are we talking PLL or are we talking NLL? Even if we're talking PLL, though, I'm I'm a Lucy guy, 100% born and bred uh, from the time I was in novice lacrosse. It is a Lucy. It's a ground ball in maybe the NCAA or American field lacrosse, but in the parts where I'm from, it's a Lucy. Thing. I antiquated it. Ask to, Chris Corbeil. Ask Chris yeah, Corbeil what he thinks. A, man, did Jesse King ever throw me under the bus with the cap? Hey, eh? did you see that? I did not see that. Oh, man. There. So Paul Horn put out a poll on Twitter. Do you call it a ground ball? Do you call it a loose ball? And he said, it's probably going to come down to an American or Canadian thing. I said, it's not an American or Canadian thing. It's a box or a field lacrosse thing. Field lacrosse, ground ball, box lacrosse, loose ball. It's terminology. I think it matters, and I'm a stickler for that sort of stuff. But even when I played field, when the ball was loose, you yell loose. No one's yelling GBGB. What are you yelling? Ball down. Ball Ball down is what you yell in field lacrosse. Ball down. Anyways, I said America, Canada, they both play box. They both play field. Ground ball, field lacrosse, loose ball, box lacrosse. But then, so this is what I said, and then Jesse King, all he did was subtweeted me, and he just tagged, I love Lucy's. <laughs> That's all he did. And then mic drop. Yeah, and then, so, of course, Corbs uh, saw that, liked it. I had to apologize. I stick by my comments, however. I Just ground, outdoor, Lucy, indoor, box, field. Uh, a couple more things here on Quick Sticks before we get to something else. Uh, power rankings. What do you think of power rankings? Are you for them, against them? What do you think? What kind of power rankings are you talking about? Well, we power ranking well we're talking the subway, we the, the, subway, teams? the subway Canadian look. Gym way. What do you think of the gym way rankings? Love the gym way rankings. <laughs> highly scientific. Yeah. Highly researched. No bias at all. If we're talking rankings, there there's no. Do you think there's a place in lacrosse for rankings? Like that for me, just they just this is you and I, you and Jumbo, you and I wouldn't have a job if we weren't allowed to debate and rank things about lacrosse. That's pretty much all we do. That's what they are, right? That's what a ranking system does. Is essentially it starts a debate of. It's a lightning rod. Right. So they don't mean anything at the end of the day. Like it doesn't seal your fate or get you a playoff position or wins or losses. It just sparks a conversation. It's something fun to talk about. And I think uh, maybe it's a road we might be going down here come summertime or even NLL season. Maybe we'll introduce our rankings. Uh, so Jim might want to get in on that, uh, Jim. Way. Last one, and it's probably the most important one here before we get to something else, and, and that is Native American History Month here, Brad. And make no mistake, it is Native American History Month in the same month that it is – American Thanksgiving, that is not by coincidence, just like Indigenous Peoples Day is on Columbus Day. That is not a coincidence either. I'm not going to give you a history lesson or a talk to Just do your homework, do some research, do some reading, and pay homage to the creator's game and the people that gifted us this sport by learning some Native American history during the month of November. Good? You're here. I was just trying to scroll through my my screenshots. I took a screenshot. I don't, and I apologize to where the credit came from. It might have been a Paul Rabel tweet, actually, but he posted a photo of one, two, ten books mm. on the subject. Like, like I think it was Rabel. Um, I think it was Rabel. So, yeah, scroll back through Paul's Rabel feed, but he's got ten books here um, to sort of give you a nice foundation. 
information and everything you need to know. So I like I screenshot that to try to find as many of these as, as I can for myself this fall. I like it. Speaking of uh, Paul Rabel, let's get to something else. Let's begin. All right now, wasn't that fun? Let's try something else. Let's try something else. Hey, Bradley and Jake. It's Jim Else here. Time for another something else on the Lacrosse Classified Podcast, sponsored by G. Wilson Construction. I want to talk about the two ranking systems that I deploy onto the Twitter throughout the year. Uh, very briefly, I'll talk about the hashtag Jim Way Not Subway rankings, which I do every year with a committee and a panel. Uh, we wait for the subway rankings of Canadian lacrosse teams to come out. We hash it out and we put in a realistic uh, uh, ranking system out to the public. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a good way to interact. The second one is a little bit more personal. It's just my own little ranking system of, of people. It's been around since probably 2014 originally uh, the highest ranking you get was a level five butron level um, i've expanded that to six uh, for one particular person uh, a lot of fives out there paul day jesse king brad cree ryan banesh john grand jr nick rose john harnett cole pickup only one six and that's dan mccray no offense to any fives but dan and i have a, a relationship that goes back a long a long way and uh, he's been around uh, for me in, in a lot of different situations that i've appreciated and I see how well respected he is in the lacrosse community, and he gets a six. Going down the down the chain a little bit, a guy like Paul Rabel, he gets a two. I think he's done a great job uh, doing what he does out there, promoting his sport. Uh, he could be a three, except for I saw how t- tight those darn shorts were during the PLL uh, uh, bubble last year, and there's just no way he's uh, rolling uh, in at a three on the Butron level with the with those shorts on so tight. Dean Hill, I don't give him a level, I just give him a demand. He's unbelievable. A good friend of mine, um, he is Demand. Two guys have shot up uh, right up to fives here in the last little bit. Charlie Ragusa doing an absolutely phenomenal job uh, in social for uh, the Iroquois um, Nationals. Uh, Thunderbirds, unreal. Uh, very passionate, passionate man, nice man. Uh, absolutely right up there in level five. My good buddy Brenner Jacobs uh, spent a good part of a year and a half um, touring around interviewing people and has come out with his book uh, last week, of which I bought two, um, My Lacrosse Family. I'm not going to pronounce the, the other way to spell it, uh, say it, uh, but uh, he's a good solid level five butron as well. The fact that... Uh, I recognize these people. It's not a big deal. Some people say, who cares? But but the, it's mine. It's what I do. And I just want to recognize the, uh, people for what they are. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening and uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. Uh, hashtag good times. Ciao. There it is. Something else brought to you by G. Wilson Construction, award-winning firm with a single focus, building fine custom homes. Upload and start your career in the construction business today or tomorrow. GWilsonConstruction.com, work with us tab, upload resume, say you heard it on Lax Class, and uh, wait for the phone to ring. Something else, uh, Jim with his Butron scale or his system there, Danny Mack, the uh, the one and only six, a bunch of shamrocks coming in there at number uh, at five. Uh, he forgot to mention Bermel. I don't know if Bermel just didn't make the list. Uh, <laughs> Paul, Paul Rabel and, and like his, his tight shorts. <laughs> Like I said before, highly scientific rankings. No Victoria Shamrock elements <laughs> leaking in there at all. Uh, the Paul Rabel tight fun, shorts. Fun to listen to. Uh, 
keeps him at a two, not a three. I, I have to concur there. I don't know where we fall on, on the Butron list, but uh, keep an eye out for, for Jim's Butron system and the Jimway rankings, which will fire back up come summertime. And another something else uh, will be coming in the weeks to come here. And Jim are actually going under the knife, Brad, for, for a little surgery on his larynx. So... I said, you're probably going to need like a couple of weeks off here. And he said, well, maybe I'll do a couple and put them in the can. And then, so I think that's what we're going to do. But I can't wait to hear Jim post-surgery, how good he's and soothing that he's he's going to sound. The when... silky smooth sounds of Jim out. So there hopefully go. surgery goes well. Jimmer and uh, we're thinking much about you. There you go. Well. Use car auto center uh, over there in Langdale as well. If uh, He hooked me up with a, a Turtle Island hat and a, and a polo golf t-shirt from from the car dealership so i was pretty fired up about that from jimmer and always appreciate a good something else i appreciate reed reinhold and Darius kilgore for coming on the program we appreciate you listening to each and every episode every tuesday here via the lacrosse flash and the biggest appreciation goes out to our fabulous sponsors please support them stampede tack vancouver warriors associated labels G. Wilson Construction and our good friends at Manscaped. We didn't even talk Manscaped this, Brad. But we got to talk a lot about Manscaped next week because the Weed Whacker will be here. I, I tracked it today. It's going to be here for next week's program. We're going to take this thing for a spin, and we'll talk a little Manscaped next week as well. I'm growing out my chest in anticipation <laughs> of the Weed Whacker arriving. I am so ready. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Hit the subscribe button. It gets delivered straight to your phone. You can email the show at lacrosseclassified at gmail.com. Follow us at laxclass or lacrosseclassified. Brad is at Brad Chow. I am at PXP for sports. And that is EP 104. Thanks for listening. For Brad Chellner, I've been Jay Kelly. And for the fastest game on two feet, for the creator, we'll talk to you next time. Be safe and be healthy, everybody.